0: Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to The Vip Jazz Report. James Brown sang a great song called It's a Man's World. But regretfully, that's not true anymore, especially in the sad world of divorce, where the media often talk about the pain of women and children, but I haven't seen much of the struggles men have to go through. What happens to men's egos, their self-esteem, their uh, destructive behavior? Not many people talk about that. And my guest is Larry Michelle, who's been married three times, but is more famously known as a relationship coach. An author, a trainer, a speaker, and producer. He's the founder of Genetics Energetics, and he's host of the Larry Love Show and a lot more. He brings his personal experience and professional guidance to today's show. Welcome, Larry.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure, sir. You're also known as the Love Shepherd, and I'm known as the Love Wolf.
1: (laughs) I wonder what that would be like. Yeah,
0: exactly. What's what's the Love Shepherd? Where would you get this name?
1: Um, it actually was given to me by some folks when we were talking about what I really do. And over the years, mm. what I've discovered that I've been doing most consistently is helping people find and experience love. So it's shepherding love, um, whether they've been in relationships or they're looking for a relationship or... Um, or it 's just in connecting with friends and family or even at work mm. um, it 's about um, making that transition from whatever 's an obstacle in the way of you really showing up and being a loving human being wow. and experiencing love so that 's it
0: well, you know I, I really wanted to have you on the show because I think you bring the, both the personal side and 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 the professional side uh, from a man 's perspective because like I said you know in my introduction that we we hear a lot about. Women going through a lot of pain and, and the children of, of divorced marriages and things like that, we very rarely hear uh, about men uh, now you've been divorced three times i have um and regretfully, we spoke earlier. You just broke up last night with your girlfriend
1: uh, I did we are We are making a transition let's just say we're taking the, a step to to discover if this is really the the right thing for us or not. And, uh, and so that, you know, it feels very much kind of like a separation.
0: So is this this whole thing called active uncoupling?
1: Um, well, active or conscious uncoupling mm. is probably the term that you're thinking of. Um, uh, yes, I guess you would call it that for sure. Um, I'm a big advocate of that. Um, I'm a big advocate of being able to leave a relationship and and realize that it doesn't have to be adversarial, but it, it's, um, you know, it's the what it was or what it, it had been is over, and it's time to get on with one's life, but not to do it at the expense of yourself or another person.
0: Well, you know, based on your history of three marriages, um, how do I define you? Are you a serial lover, a serial yeah. husband, an incurable romantic?
1: Um, boy, I think I've been an incurable romantic, for sure. I, I really appreciate and love relationships. Mm. Um, you know, so I'm not a young puppy, so I've had some time to do three marriages, but uh, I think that that for me, I really respect and love deep commitment and partnership. And, and so when I meet someone and that opportunity exists, I... Um, I'm willing to dive in 100%, or I, be- I believe I'm willing to dive in 100%. And I only say that because uh, over the years I realized that I probably didn't when I thought I was. Um, but, uh, you know, to to really make a full commitment, mm. that feels good to me.
0: I'm yeah, going to get you a T-shirt. <laughs> and you know what he's going to say on it? It's not you, it's me.
1: <laughs> That's a good one. I'll take it. <laughs>
0: But you know, I mean, I mean, getting serious about it—you, you, three divorces. I mean, what in the world did you not learn from the first marriage or the second marriage?
1: Well, the first marriage I did when I was nineteen. I mm. married my childhood sweetheart, and and I have to tell you, at the age of nineteen, you know, we now know that the, that the brain isn't even fully developed till twenty-five. So I was simply trying on what I thought marriage was all about. Um, I was "quote unquote" in love. And to me and, you know, my generation, that's, that spoke to make a commitment, get married. Uh, you know, I grew up in that environment that, that really said, hey, you know, marriage is about a white picket fence and, uh, and 2.75 dogs and 1.35 kids or mm-hmm. whatever that statistic is. And, and so I jumped in and I was naive. I totally didn't have a clue what I was doing. I just was following my heart. That was the first one. Yes. And, the second? Um, the, the second um, was a number of years later. And, and by the way, i got to thank my first wife because she actually left me for another man. And, um, and I was devastated for all of two weeks, Bip. <laughs> that's <laughs> and it. That's how young I was. I remember sitting on my sofa in my house two weeks after she left, being distraught one moment and the next moment going, oh my God, look at all the opportunities I have. And, uh, you know, it was, again, it's youth, quick quick transition. Um, The second, uh, I I married a a woman. I was in the restaurant business, and and she just, you know, struck me. And and I'll tell you, it was chemistry. Chemistry took me into the relationship, and chemistry held me in that relationship for some time. And, you know, if we got into a discussion about chemistry, we know chemistry is a very powerful, if perhaps not the most powerful set of drugs Known to mankind, and I was pretty drugged up with that one.
0: So, how long were you there in that marriage? Five years. That's not bad. So, so how, what, what happened?
1: So the first one was five years as well. I, I kind of thought that that was uh, when I saw that happen twice, I went, Well, that's how stubborn I am, or that's how committed I am. Mm. I don't know.
0: So, why'd you break up on the second one?
1: Um, we really started going our different ways. Um, a few years into the relationship Um, I was in the restaurant business and we were doing it together and we didn't necessarily see eye to eye and it just there were so many complexities and entanglements and I think that we really lost respect for each other and once that starts to happen once the inspiration and and the respect starts to leave a relationship then all kinds of issues can come up and so we lost that, and eventually it got to the point where it just wasn't healthy. It, it wasn't healthy, and and to be really frank, I left her because, um, and I remember I said three years into it, in the next two years, we literally didn't have much of a relationship other working with each other, mm-hmm. and um, I met a woman who absolutely was amazing to me, and I did after learning over the years that you know uh, deceit and secrecy and privacy and all that was really just a, a channel that was going to get you deeper into, uh, into hell, if you will, um, that I wanted to be fully honest and, and open with my feelings. And I met this woman. I really, really enjoyed her. And I said, you know what? It's time for me to leave my relationship. We can't go any deeper in our experience of each other until I'm Free of this other woman, and
0: so sort of morals got the better of you.
1: Yeah, you know what? It's kind of personal integrity, right? And and authenticity—something that that you know, as a man growing up, those are important things. But I always felt like I needed to keep the upper hand; that I had to be the one that was the provider, the supporter, and and you know, the one that was unbreakable and strong and. And there all the time, and and having any kind of weakness was something that just wasn't okay with me. So, um, so
0: if I, I get uh, it right, if I get it straight, um, you were still married, but you had a, a brief affair. But the, your morals got hold of you, and you decided to end the marriage in order to continue the relationship that you found.
1: I did, and actually, I didn't even have an affair. With the woman, I actually got to know her and was not having an affair, but realized that this was someone that I truly wanted to go deeper with, and I wasn't going to have an affair. But you
0: I, didn't have anything th- intimate with this new woman?
1: No, I did not. Oh wow! Um,
0: so you were saving yourselves each so other? No,
1: and, and I'm going to say not sexually intimate. So certainly in conversation we had intimacy. Okay. Um, but no, I. I literally decided, this has got to be clean, I want to go into this without any cobwebs, without anything in the closet, you know, just totally honest and authentic and real. And that's the way I went into it, and interestingly enough, that marriage lasted 15 years, and three incredible kids came out of it.
0: Now, why did that break up?
1: That broke up for for a number of reasons, um, some that I understood are tempted to understand then and some that I understand a lot better now. Uh, I went through a lot of the catastrophe that that many people experienced in 2008 when the markets crashed. Mm -hmm. And I was overextended and lost a ton of money. And my ex-wife and I did not see the same way on how to recover. She kept insisting, you need to go get a real job. And I'm an entrepreneur. I have been for years. And the only thing she would accept is if I was working for, like, Exxon or some, you know, big Fortune 500 company. Um, And it just – I wasn't employable, really.
0: But I I guess that's fair demand on her part, right, having a consistent uh, cash flow in the house to support the family.
1: Sure. Whereas – Looking for safety and security. mm. There's no question about it. And and so I can't look back at it and go – um, you know, you have no right to that. She, right. she was looking for what was important to her, and I was struggling, trying to find a solution for all of us, and it just wasn't happening. We were running a roller coaster of success and failure and success and failure, and it just it hit the threshold.
0: Now, having been divorced three times, is the divorce system, in your opinion, fair on men?
1: Oh hell no <laughs> no, not even close uh and and it's very unfortunate, but it's the the truth is is it's still a system that dates back to the belief that the man is here to be the financial supporter that we're here to um, create every be a safe experience for the for the woman and the court system holds us to that. We're supposed to be the ones to be the ones to provide everything that's necessary, so when it comes today to how the court looks at at men and women yeah. it's going to look to men at being the you know the default there and it's unfortunate because we have a situation where men and women are now on pretty equal ground in terms of how much money they make and their potential to make money and contribute to the household. Uh, and certainly we've got men who are playing um, as great as, if not even more, participation in raising children. But the courts aren't designed to look at that.
0: So the women and the kids do better in a divorce?
1: Um, they always will, unless, um, unless it's turned into a less adversarial environment. And there's the challenge. Divorce in itself, in this in this country is very adversarial. It's like going to war. There's a winner and there's a loser. In almost most cases, divorce attorneys don't look... They don't go in saying, gee, let's see if we can come to common ground. They go in to win a divorce case. Whenever there's a focus on winning, there's a loser. Right. And that's a broken system that damages kids, it damages families, it damages people. And, um, you know, the system is, is... it's horrendously. So with
0: out. this with, when the lawyers approach this with a winner-loser mentality, that also breeds a victim mentality, right?
1: Totally. Oh yeah, there, there's, there's a victim, there's uh, you know there's all kinds of things that come up. You and I have talked about this. There are four emotions that jump in and really control things, which is shame mm-hmm. blame, guilt and resentment. and any one of those four alive, is going to get massively in the way of coming to a solution in a divorce environment that is a favorable and healthy one for both parties.
0: So explain to me the, the you know, let's go through the four emotions. Uh, what do you mean when you say shame?
1: Well, shame, we can shame another, we can shame ourselves. Shame on me for not being a better husband. Mm-hmm. Shame on me for not um, being able to provide enough money to, for my wife to feel safe. Um, shame on you for not being a better husband or a better wife. So we, you know, we're pointing the finger at someone else or at ourselves, going, "Not good enough. You failed." Right. right. Resentment is when you have a um, you, there's something that you expected or desired or believed that you should have had mm-hmm. that didn't happen. Right, and now you resent you're resentful of that person for not providing, or not giving to you, or not being there for you, or not acknowledging you as as you felt that you needed to be. And and you know when we're in that place, that's we we very quickly quickly become a victim.
0: So all that culminate in guilt. Oh sure. Now what so, did what did you feel when you were getting divorced?
1: You know, the, the first time, I, again, I was young, and it was easy. We, I think we even did it ourselves. We decided that the divorce was there, and we went in, we got the paperwork. And so
0: it was just like a breakup.
1: Yeah, it was like a breakup. Um, I was emotionally upset. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really was. I felt like I had, was a complete failure for the period of time. I, I mean, I was in deep depression. And, and, you know, this is something that's missed a lot in, in the world of divorce, The the suicide level is 3x what it is for women, for men, and there's deep depression that happens with men when they go through a divorce. Um, This is a huge emotional situation, and a lot of people don't look at that. They're not aware of that. They just think, you know, the guy screwed up, or the guy didn't come through, or there was some um, transgression, something that they did that they should never have done. Um, It's just... It, it it's an unhealthy environment and so in my first in my first experience i i certainly i was very depressed and kind of wondered how i was going to go on i mean i literally was wondering how was i going to go on i had a home i owned a home i had a good job and i was still wondering how am i going to go on it's crazy
0: and then in your second
1: in and, and the second it was a situation where we really discovered that that who we married and what we thought we were getting into was not what we, we ended up experiencing. And we had a lot of fun and a lot of playtime at the beginning of our relationship, and as we got more into the operations of our life and, the, and our occupation, we were discovering that we were really very different people.
0: But then while you were getting divorced and after the divorce, obviously there must have been some sort of feelings that sort of challenged you.
1: Um, in that one, in that one, it was really for me. I wanted a clean break, and I wanted to move on.
0: Oh, because you had something to look forward to.
1: I did. I really so did. So that took
0: I, away any of the pain that you had.
1: It does. And by the way, I mean that is not uncommon for people either, for to come out of a divorce and immediately find something to kind of heal the pain or mask the pain. Mm. Um, you know, I look back now. And if I and when I advise people, I'll say, "You know if you're coming out of a divorce, do not get into another relationship right away. do not
0: but you did that
1: Even if, oh, I certainly did
0: but it worked I, for a while
1: it did I was lucky hmm. I, I mean honestly i I'll tell you that that was luck that was fortuitous, and I look at my three kids and I go you know thank thank God, thank the universe, thank whoever for all that happening um." Am I happy? But now
0: in your third marriage, um, you had kids, right?
1: Three.
0: Three kids. So now, what were the feelings there? Because now you have extra baggage.
1: That one was that one was the most difficult of probably almost all the experiences that I've, ha- I've had in my life. Mm. Um, I had uh, a situation where as an entrepreneur and a creative person and someone that's really focused on helping and 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 shepherding people to happiness, I had my world collapse around me. And I had a very angry ex-wife who um, was uh, angry enough to to want to convince me I was a complete loser. I mean, she literally would put her, her uh, thumb and forefinger f- up at the top of her head and make the L sign in front of me and say, you're a loser. And you know what? I started to listen to it, Vip. I started to listen to it, and that was... Um, that was almost the death of me, to be honest, I mean it really was if it so was it 's safe I'm to say
0: children. she almost hated you
1: oh she yes, she was definitely in that place so there was it felt it felt like hate it certainly was resentment there was certainly an enormous amount of anger that I put her in this situation that I jeopardized our family that you know I was going to harm and damage our children um, you know, it was all focused at me at being irresponsible. And, and um,
0: But remind me very quickly, why did the third marriage end?
1: Finances. It finances, was, right. Okay, but, because of oh, the 2000... Hold on, I, I, want to, I want to clarify something there because I'm also a person that has stated publicly and in my own writing that I don't think any relationship ever ends because of finances. Finances were the scapegoat at the time. Mm-hmm. So she was pointing to that. But at a deeper level, there were other issues.
0: What, emotional?
1: Not, they were emotional. They were um, sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, they were other issues that I understood much better much later, but I didn't understand them then. I was stuck in the, in the focus of, you know, the, the uh, looking at the bottom line. You know? Isn't it
0: ironic, though, whatever you failed at, for lack of a better word, is now becoming the reason for your success? I mean, you're a, you're a relationship coach now. You're, you're called the love shepherd. Isn't that I ironic? I do
1: not do today what I do today as well as I do it today without the experiences of I- I've had. Hmm. Without question. Um, you know, I could probably study and, and be aware, but I have a different sense of how to get to the core of our human nature and to the the real depths of our heart to find solutions. And and I think that would not exist had I not gone through a lot of the traumas that I went through in my divorces.
0: So what did you learn about the traumas, uh, about how to overcome them? A lot of people in your situation, a lot of guys listening on the show, a lot of women listening on the show. Um, Where did you get your strength? Where did you learn what to do, how to come out of the depth of your trauma?
1: That's a really good question. It's a really good question. I believe all of us are survivors. That at the end of the day, we don't want to be in pain, we don't want to be hurting, we don't want to be broken. We really want to be happy. I mean, we want to be able to have a conversation and laugh and smile mm-hmm. and, and connect deeply with people. And what happens is we end up in a circumstance where the context we give that circumstance is so damaging, it has us dismantling ourselves. Remember I said, I, I almost totally believed I was a loser, Vip. Yeah. You know, at that point... A loser, you might as well just forget about it.
0: Were you suicidal?
1: Um, I I would have to say I would have to say yes. I mean, I would if if my kids, if I didn't have three kids, I'm not sure I'd be here today. I'd just be honest about it. But there was no way, there was no way in hell that I was going to leave my kids without a father, and a damn good father at that.
0: So you've always had a sense of responsibility.
1: Oh, yeah. And you know what? And I think that that's that's part of how we were raised. And I also believe that 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 is one of the things that for men is so very, very important.
0: And that was one of the reasons that helped you come out of the trauma, because there was no option to lose.
1: That's right. That's right. I had to be the best father for my kids. I did not like what I was seeing my ex-wife do. I did not like it, and I knew that if my kids were going to really be raised well, that, that I needed to be there, and I needed to be more human and more loving and more understanding and more compassionate mm-hmm. than anybody else on the planet. And you know what? I, didn't, I wasn't even sure how to do all that. I just knew I had to.
0: And that's what kept you going?
1: It did, without question.
0: But I'm still trying to understand. You know, if if I got divorced right now, I, I wouldn't believe in getting married again. Yeah, because for me, um, marriage is a one-time thing, and it's a one—it's a life event, one per life. That's just my thing. But you continue doing it, and obviously, I don't think you're going to stop anytime soon.
1: Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, this. I had a client about a year and a half ago who was Catholic who went through a divorce and she decided at that point, I'm divorced so I'm not capable of getting married again because she believed um, very strongly and very religiously that that marriage was till death do you part. And we talked about that for a while and I went, you know, till death do you part is a is a statement that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years it goes back beyond when we lived to 70 or 80 or 90 years old it went back to when relationships and marriages lasted maybe 20 years mm. or 30 years and i truly believe that there is a life to every relationship and some relationships are short-lived some of them are truly a lifetime but there is, we go through changes in our lives. We go through changes in our environment, in our geography. Um, we go through changes in our countries, in our financial uh, composure. All the different things that are going on around us have us growing constantly. And we're not always going to grow exactly the same. No, as
0: but what I'm trying to get at...
1: we entered a relationship with. But,
0: but Larry, what I'm trying to get at is, is... What stops you from just saying, you know, what I'm I'm done with marriage? Um, I'd rather live together, have my own informal vows.
1: Ah, okay. Um, thank you for that clarity. So I happen to like the institution of marriage. Now, mm-hmm. I would not if I got married again, it would not be the same way I got married last time. It wouldn't be your traditional marriage vows.
0: Okay, and explain. it's
1: really so. I don't. I don't really need. Um, the court <laughs> or a document
0: but you needed it three times
1: I did I believed in it and, mm. I, and I, I liked it I really did I liked that proclamation I liked that 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 formal proclamation to my community to my family to my world that I'm making a commitment to this person in my life
0: that, oh okay the sense of proclamation
1: right and that's right. more it than it, anything else
0: it's an announcement um, of sorts.
1: It, it is. It really is. It's but
0: you like, also like the sense of possession. You um, find saying someone's your wife is better than saying someone's your partner or your girlfriend?
1: Um, no, not anymore. No? I used to think that it was important. Possession is a really dangerous thing when it comes to relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think possession can be the death of a relationship. Because we can't possess anybody. And as soon as we do, then we're no longer really in a in a partnership of inequality, we're in an exchange.
0: It's interesting you use the word partnership and not relationship. What's the difference between the two?
1: Well, this is a big one. Um, I, I believe that a quality relationship, a romantic relationship, mm-hmm. or marriage, specifically a marriage, if you just call it a relationship, then you haven't really looked at it for what it truly is because what it truly needs to be is a partnership. And when I say partnership, I'll just make the... Um, the analogy, you know, if we go, if you and I were to go into business with each other, we would make some really clear determinations about what that business structure and partnership look like. You may want to do the books, and I'm going to do the sales, or you're going to do the radio show, and I'm going to be the guy who runs the clock, or whatever the case might be. But we're going to determine what are those things that we really contribute, and we're going to have an understanding how that contribution comes together to create the partnership that we envision. Correct.
0: Well, let me ask you a question. In today's world, if we were to do that, we men would be branded as sexist or chauvinist. Because if I was to say, you know what, let me go and earn, and as long as I'm providing a comfortable, luxurious lifestyle, you stay at home, look after the kids, and make me a hot meal in the evening. Now, if I was to say that publicly, I'd be pinned against the wall in unfavorable positions.
1: Okay, so that's an old paradigm, Viv, because I can say partnership, and partnership can mean we're going to share evenly in how we contribute financially to the family. Right. Partnership can mean I'm gonna be taking the kids to school, or I'm gonna be raising the kids while my wife is working as an executive at a company. Mm -hmm. Um, Partnership is about deciding what roles that you best play and how you're gonna contribute to the relationship. When I work with, with couples now that are thinking about getting married, we go through anywhere upwards to 300 questions over a six-month period of time that they go in and ask each other and talk about that have to do with money, have to do with sex, have to do with family, have to do with religion, have to do with location, have to do with any possible thing that, they, that could come up in their lives mm-hmm. that is important to know and discover in advance and discuss and And you know this is the kind of of attention to detail and discernment and commitment and responsibility that you would take if you were going into a business partnership.
0: but it takes so, the glamour out of marriage, doesn't it?
1: I don't think so at all no? I think it adds more excitement. I think it creates a greater opportunity to really be intimate and understanding and aware of each other. This is, when we start asking questions of each other to get to know each other and we start answering, gee, this is what I love to do and, uh, and this not so much so, that's an opportunity to truly learn about the person as opposed to um, going in there and just you know, being uh, having sexual intimacy and being just filled full of chemistry and going, oh, I'm so in love and thinking that's going to be the success of this relationship. That's a pipe dream. I think those things are important. It's important to have those aspects, but that's not the whole picture. If you're going to make a commitment, if you're certainly if you're going to bring kids into the world, then have some really serious conversations. A lot of divorces that happen when there's huge financial strife happen that financial challenge happens because they didn't look at the structure financially about how, about how that partnership was going to be built in the beginning. There are so many women that have come out of relationships that don't have a clue what was going on financially, and all of a sudden they feel like now they're a victim, and they've got to get a forensic attorney to go after their husband because he's been hiding things. He wasn't hiding anything. He was simply doing what he does, managing money, and no one asked for the the balance sheet. Hmm. But the divorce attorneys, again, remember divorce, there's a winner and a loser, they get on the aggressive it's like war, and they're going in there to grab what they can as much as they can and leave one person a winner and the other a loser That's
0: so you're trip. saying you're saying that people who intend to get married they should go through some sort of a checklist and, and and form some sort of a contractual commitment to abide by
1: i don't know that I would say a contractual Commitment, but certainly they have got a verbal one, and and if they want to write it down and discuss it and journal it, I think it's a great idea. You know, even in a business situation, Mm -hmm. we can go into business at the beginning. You and I, the example I used, you're the you're going to be the show host, and I'm going to do all the back end stuff. Well, you know, at any point in time, you can go. Gosh, Larry, you know, I'm really tired of being a host. You've been wanting to do it. Why don't you do the hosting? I'll do the back end. Mm. Can change. We have permission to do that, you know, or if we don't want to do that, if both of us want to host and we've got to split and go our own ways, then at least we have that understanding and we know why we're going. But we have the ability to, to shift and change. It's just simply an understanding and awareness and acceptance and acknowledgement of where we're at. So how, when you, when, I'm when, wide open,
0: when people, um, when, when couples come to you regarding divorce issues and things like that, how... What is your top three steps that you use to resolve conflict?
1: Well, the first thing I want to find out is I'm going to look at is is what really is driving the divorce. Hmm. Like if someone comes to me, if they come to me and say, this is just, you know, he mismanaged the money or she mismanaged the money or um, if they're pointing to finances, I'm going to say, okay, what's really up? I mean, what's really up?
0: You don't believe finances are the main cause?
1: No, it never is. Never is. It's just the scapegoat. It's so easy to to point to a balance sheet and say, look, you took me to zero or below zero or way below zero, Mm -hmm. and that's why I'm leaving you. No, that's not why, because couples that are really committed and love each other and have a strong relationship, they can go from zero to a million to zero to a million. They can ride that roller coaster, and they do it with such connection and love for each other and support for each other it's because they have the strength in that relationship. They have the con- a deeper connection. When when couples come to me and they point to money, I'm going to go, what's really up? And before we know it, we find out. They either have not been communicating well, they don't trust each other, they don't feel connected anymore, the love has somehow just dwindled away, there's no respect, they have sexual problems most of the time. It has to do with some kind of of lack of sexual connection who's complaining
0: out. the guy more often or the girl
1: mm. well statistically right now it's the women
0: that the, the men are not giving them enough sex
1: um, they're not satisfying them Oh, okay so it's, it's not a it's not you know how many times a day or a week it's more a level of satisfaction it's a sense of, of fulfillment and joy with sexual intimacy. Wow. And, 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 we, you know, if we're, and to bring up the intimacy word, intimacy is about being willing to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to let yourself be seen, be willing to be wrong, be willing to grow out of those things that you thought were one way and then could be another. and, In many, many relationships, when I start talking to couples, I realize that they have been scooting by on what they call intimacy, and it wasn't intimacy at all. It was just sex. So sexual intimacy is false intimacy. They think because they're having a a great love life Mm -hmm. that they're really close to each other. Well, they are physically, but emotionally they're not. And when there's not deep intimacy in a relationship, that's when you start to see all kinds of challenges coming up that's when the whole issue of, of cheating, which I don't believe in by the way I don't believe there's such thing as cheating, I think there's, there's indiscretions but I think what really happens there is it's two people that aren't honest enough, abili- don't have the ability to be honest and open enough with each other to have a conversation about what's really going on in their lives and it manifests itself in some indiscretion but the real problem it wasn't the cheating the real problem started before then.
0: And that's what you look at. You don't look at the problem that is cheating. No. You look at what caused
1: it. That was was an occurrence. That was something that happened. It's over. Mm -hmm. You know, anytime we get stuck, and and a lot of people have a hard time here because they get stuck in that. Well, you cheated on me. There was this girl or this woman or this guy and they're stuck in something that happened in the past, and now they're trying to live in the present. They're trying to resolve a relationship, but they're still bringing up something that's in the past. Well, it's the past. It's over. It's gone. It's done. And the only thing that keeps it alive is your decision to keep it alive. And, so, and, and that you know that's one of the things that I have to work with with couples. What happened in the past, mm-hmm. and why did that happen? And once we identify why that happened, is this something that's resolvable? Perhaps it is. Perhaps it's not. Right. Perhaps it is a situation where the people really have different beliefs or different principles, different boundaries today than they did before.
0: Now, going back to the problem where the women actually were saying that they were dissatisfied, mm-hmm. what, what was a men's response when you asked him, well, why aren't you satisfying her?
1: Usually there's confusion. When there's sexual dysfunction, I'll call it or, or misalignment mm-hmm. usually both parties have a really difficult time understanding just what's going on. So does they, it just go to
0: prove that you can never understand women because you know the guys are probably looking at you you know with a question mark on the head saying, "Well what, wait a minute, that's new to me I, I didn't know that she was dissatisfied
1: Yeah, I don't, see I don't believe that one at all mm. I, I think that both men and women. Uh, can be totally seen and understood, I think women are complex, more complex than men in a lot of ways, but um, can we understand them for sure? I mean the work I do right now in energetics has has me looking at what we call sexual response type, and so I know that that there are two different ways that people engage sexually at at a core level at our human nature level, and wouldn 't it be that,
0: easier just to ask them? Rather than go through a scientific approach, well, there are you kinky? Are you not? Do you have a fetish? Do you not?
1: <laughs> uh, it's um, it's not necessarily that simple.
0: Hmm. And it you really call this important. whole process all of your experiences and and your your meetings with your, your clients all resulted in genetic energetics.
1: Well, it is a, one of the, it's a tool I use. Viv. Okay, it's a it's a tool I use. It's not the only thing I use to work with clients, but right. it's one that. That for the last decade I've found to be um, at the foundation of my work. I just always, I always use it. It's kind of like. So,
0: very it's, it's simply, me. what is it?
1: Um, very simply, what it is, is we've identified a frequency, a harmonic that people vibrate at that's just like their blood type. And it's, it's carved in stone. And if those frequencies are the same, there's a harmonic. If those frequencies are not the same, then there's, there's kind of discordance, which means they push against each other. They don't match. And when they don't match, then we need to be aware of that, or we're going to create all kinds of stories about why something is not happening. So, for example, sex might have been really great at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden we're feeling like, um, gee, I'm just not feeling fulfilled by you anymore. So are so, you telling
0: me that if uh, you dated someone, how are you going to get them to do a genetics, energetics, form-filling exercise before you get serious?
1: Well, it's, it, it, with our system, it's very simple because all they have to do is provide a couple birth dates. Oh. And it's not astrology, babe. That's, it's but then you
0: get the result and you find that she doesn't sort of... Five years down the line, she's not going to resonate with you or have your rhythm. Um, you're going to break it up?
1: No, not necessarily. No. That's not the, the purpose for finding out whether you're similar or different or mm. finding out what your energetics are is not to, to find your, um, you know, to, to, if you're in a relationship, go, well, you're not exactly right, so bye-bye. That's not it. Not at all. Mm. This, is, this is about having your eyes wide open. You know, and I'll just use the blood type as as um, as an analogy. You know, if, I, if you go into the hospital and you need a blood transfusion, I need to know your blood type. If you're A positive and I'm B negative, I'm not going to divorce you because we have different blood types. But I'm sure as hell going to make sure that I, you get the transfusion with the right blood so that you are kept alive, right? So the point of this is knowing what we are and what influences a lot of our connections and our relationships so that we can embrace them, so we can acknowledge and honor them instead of being in the stories that are resentment and blame and shame and guilt.
0: So this, this report gives you a background of what the person is like from an emotional and a physical perspective.
1: From an energetic perspective. So, so would
0: it tell you that the woman's highly kinky?
1: Not necessarily, no, because that's something that they develop over time based on their experiences in life. Same with a guy. So, um, can I provide a a quick analogy about relationships? Think of a relationship as a three-legged stool for a moment. Okay. Okay. Three legs. So, you need all three legs under a stool for that to be a solid platform, correct? Mm -hmm. Right. But what most people do, in fact, almost all of us do going into relationships, is we use only two of those legs. One of them is physical. So we look at someone and we go, oh, yeah, I like that. Oh, man.
0: I'm good with that.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, right? And men and women both do that. Women are, you know, a little less shy to say they do, but they will all eventually admit, oh, yeah, the physical, who that person is physically is absolutely important to them. Okay. Okay. So we do that in romance. So All right. So let's say they made the cut on the physical part. Now we go to who are they? And who are they are all those things that we've become from the day we were born, how we were raised, what we believe, what experiences and traumas we've had in our life, Mm -hmm. what our desires are, our passions. Do we want kids? Do we not want kids? Do we want to travel? Do I like to snow ski or do I like to sit in opera houses for entertainment? You know, what is it? And are you kinky or are you not kinky? Are you, you know, into BDSM? Are you polyamorous? Or, you know, what is it, right? So all of those things, that's who we are. And those two things combined are what people use to make a decision as to whether they want to be in a relationship or eventually a partnership with someone. Um, now, obviously, we may totally fall in love but now we're sitting here on two legs, on the three-legged stool. So what are we doing? Yep, we're balancing. It's a balancing act. Right. And it's like if you're riding a, t- uh, a, you know, a two-wheel bicycle and you come to a stop at an intersection. And you know the clip-in pedals? <laughs> you ever, ever use those things and you can't get your foot out of the pedal fast enough so you fall on your side? It's very embarrassing, right? Um, but when you stop, you're going to fall over if you don't have a way of putting that third leg down. And that third leg is energetics. Understanding what we are energetically gives us now a solid foundation. And and it doesn't mean that the energetics need to be perfect, hmm. because we also have those other two legs. So all of these things come into the equation. I want to know, I want to be sure that you're someone that is the right size and shape for me. I want to be sure that if I want to have kids, that you actually want to have kids. I want to know what you are energetically, so that when we're communicating, we can do it effectively.
0: So can't I just ask those questions?
1: Um, You can ask a whole lot of questions, and you might not get all the answers because...
0: Or I might not get the truth. Uh,
1: Well, you'll get what someone believes is the truth, but when it comes energetic sometimes, I'd have to say that oh, 30% or 40% of the people that look at their reports that they get from us and they'll go, huh, I didn't really feel that. And then we, and then they look deeper in the description and they go, oh, I guess that is really true.
0: So are you trying to, with the genetics report, or the energetics report, uh, remove the concept of compromise, sacrifice, for better or worse, from the marriage institution?
1: Well, I, I am not... Not an advocate of sacrificing anything Hmm. in a relationship. I think accommodation is something that we can do. I think we accommodate a lot in our relationships, not just our romantic ones, but all parts of life.
0: But in order to to accommodate, you have to sacrifice, don't you? No. Well, if she's vegetarian, you're going to have to have a little more vegetables with your steak. Say that again? If she's vegetarian... You're going to have to have a few more vegetables with your steak or or ever once in a while go to a vegetarian restaurant.
1: And you may choose to do that and you may go, screw it. I don't want to do this. I'm a meat eater and your vegetarian lifestyle just competes so much with how I want to live that I love you, but this isn't healthy for us because I'm constantly resenting the fact that I have to do that. The flip side is, is you're a meat eater and she's a vegetarian and you look at her and go, She is so excited and healthy and passionate about this mm-hmm. that I can support that passion. And you know what? I'll try some different vegetables.
0: Yeah, so you're 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 sacrificing what you because you would normally not do that.
1: There's lots of things that I see I don't call that a sacrifice. I call that a sacrifice sacrifice is when there's something that's really important to us that we give up for another person. That we give up. That we say it's
0: if you so go if I, once I guess, a week for a vegetarian, you're giving up the steak night that was normally going to be in the, on that night. You might have steak well, another night, but...
1: It, you're giving it up, If it, but if it was really important to you, mm-hmm. if it was critically important to you, and it remains critically important to you, then you shouldn't be giving it up. Not for anybody. If it has to do with the way you want to live, and you know it's important to you to live that way... Mm-hmm. Then you should be honoring your own needs and you should be discerning and not giving that up for anybody. Wow. And I'm I'm really serious about that. At the at the end of the day, the biggest mistakes we make sometimes is sacrificing. And 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 there are sometimes when we make changes, we look at things when we accommodate mm-hmm. and we think we're sacrificing. In reality, it's not a sacrifice at all. In fact, we discover that, wow, I should have done this a long time ago. Right. So a, a sacrifice is when something that is important to you in who you are mm-hmm. and at your core level, what is really the key things in your life that are mandatory, and you're giving those up
0: Well, on the, sacrifice. On that note, Larry, thank you. How can people get in touch with you and, and get access to these reports?
1: Well, they can go to a site called the 4 com and that's four spelled out. So it's T-H-E-F-O-U-R-A-N-S-W-E-R-S.com, the four answers. Mm-hmm. And if they go into the product section, there's a report called a personal energetic profile. Right. And that's a free report, and it's going to really quickly tell you what you are energetically. It's brilliant information. It has changed so many lives, Vip. It really has. I mean, I don't know if I have time to tell story a story or two, but...
0: Uh, well, we've come to the end of the show, Larry.
1: <laughs> oh, Time
0: really flies.
1: Wow. So if you want to get a hold of me, it's Larry M. for... Um, for michael larry m at the four and i'm happy to talk to anyone uh, you know my commitment is to help people get into relationships that are happy and fulfilling and if they're leaving relationships to leave unbroken and um, in a place of respect and honoring and acknowledgement
0: thank you very much larry for coming on the show
1: you're so welcome
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. A special shout out of thanks to my dream team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip and my Facebook page, the Vip Report. For a complete list of my previous shows, check me out on iTunes and FoxNewsradio.com. I wish you and your loved ones a fabulous evening, and until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.